the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, if I were going to give you the straight scoop, I would entitle today's show All About the Real Issue. Because in a few moments, we'll talk with Todd Benzman, our old friend. Actually, I'm going to play a I'm going to play a um, I'm going to replay a, a, a conversation I had with him last week because he's got video accompanying this uh, migrant uh, illegal immigrant story. He's got down on the border about a, a Muslim uh, a shelter. And so I want to I want to highlight that. So check that out. Listen to it. Check on social media. Uh, CIS.org, Center for Immigration Studies, Todd Benzman. But that's huge. The second guy is Chris Shimolinsky. Chris Shimolinsky is going to join us from Numbers USA on what exactly is happening on this issue. You know, Joe Biden went down to Arizona for some event or something was asked if he was going to go to the border and he said oh no there's there's more important things going on i I don't the media is trying to distract us with other things but i'm not sure there's anything more important however having said all that i do want to let you know i i actually today's today's wink what you need to know it, it has to be about twitter and about the narrative machine and the power of big tech. And and the reason it's it's about the narrative machine, what you need to know is all these years now, I've been talking about the narrative machine. Remember, the narrative machine is the, the combination, three parties, big tech, all the Twitter, Facebook, all of them, big tech, big media, CNN, MSNBC, even Fox, big tech, big media, Washington Post is in there, New York Times, that's big media. And big government. And sometimes I think people say, oh, well, Ed, you know, there may be left left leaning people in uh, big tech while well, they're from Silicon Valley or there may be left leaning people in the media. But I don't know. Is it big government really working hand in glove? It is. It is. And over the last five days, what you need to know is the narrative machine as clear as can be clear clarity. The big government portion is when in the run up to the 2020 election. There is the Hunter Biden laptop. It's possessed by the FBI. The FBI has it. They haven't they haven't confirmed its uh, its uh, origins, I guess, at one point early in that year, maybe June. But the, one of the key lawyers at the FBI is a guy named Baker, James Baker. I think it's James. And Baker is there. Well, Baker leaves in that summer of 2020 and goes to Twitter. And at Twitter, he's part of the team that makes sure that when they're told, they're warned in weekly meetings and other gatherings, and they're saying, hey, guys, so maybe it was, fa- well, Facebook, uh, Zuckerberg admitted that they were warned, but at Twitter, we now have evidence they were having weekly meetings at a certain point. And Baker is involved, the former FBI guy. He knows exactly what they've got. And what did they do? They work together. So big government is working together. And Baker had ties to the Russia hoax and to Michael Sussman and all kinds of things. But in this case, big government, the FBI, FBI officials slide over to big tech. And now they're shutting down a story before the election. They're shutting down. They're lying about it. It's Russian disinformation. 
and they're shutting it down. And big media goes along. Remember 60 Minutes? I think it was 60 Minutes. Uh, Donald Trump is 60 Minutes. And, and uh, Leslie Stahl looks at him and says, well, you can't talk about the Hunter Biden laptop. It's not been uh, it's not been verified. And he said, well, what are you talking about? What do you mean it hasn't been verified? Why hasn't it been verified? I think he said he said he knows it's been verified. Trump knew. So we have the narrative machine literally interfering in the 2020 election. Now, was any of that illegal? I, I'm not sure. Was it unethical? Certainly. Was it uh, uh, extra constitutional? Meaning, is there some constitutional provision that says that uh, you should be able to get to the truth? I don't think so. I don't think that's what our Constitution says. So you have to be careful what you're calling for. But it can be said. And what you need to know is when big government, big media and big tech work together, the narrative machine controls us. You see that? It definitely controls, it controlled in this case, the election. Now, you, if you want to debate and say, did it move enough votes? 44,000 is the whole margin of uh, what Biden won by, I think, 43,000 maybe. I don't, I'm not sure we can debate. We, I, I could be a different debate. But there can be no doubt now of the power of the narrative machine and how dominant that is in the culture. And again, the, the really telling and damning part of this is that the narrative machine is exposed and it's not even covered. I mean, it's not covered as the scandal that it should be. Imagine if it were the opposite. Imagine for a second if there was uh, some detail that was uh, available at the FBI. Let's say that they actually had evidence, confirmed evidence of Donald Trump uh, doing something that was clear. And it was at the FBI and the FBI uh, handler went to work at uh, Twitter. And when the news broke that this Trump bad conduct existed in 2020, right before the election, if the FBI, former FBI official at Twitter helped silence it, helped keep it out of the press by lying about it. What would happen? It would be a scandal. I, I mean, I think uh, let's do it this way. Hillary Clinton and the Democrats spent three years of Donald Trump's presidency complaining about Russia collusion because they believed and said Trump wasn't legitimate because of this interference. It turns out that it was a lie, although many Americans don't even realize. But that's what happened. And in this case, crickets. Very little coverage, a debate over whether maybe Trump uh, officials also tried to say to Twitter, you should silence some of the bad guys or something. I don't know. I mean, it, it's pretty clear that if it's all true and there's some of this that's coming out in the in the in the uh, sort of Twitter emails and mails from uh, emails from uh, uh, Twitter that Elon Musk is, is releasing. It may it's got to be clarified. But if it all turns out to look like what it looks like, isn't that a coup? I mean, isn't that a you can call it fortifying the election. But when senior intelligence community officials like Clapper and Brennan lie about it, call it Russian disinformation, when the former FBI director Baker slides over and says and, and is, says you should meet with the FBI and Zuckerberg says the FBI is warning them saying, hey, 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 if something comes up, it's a Russian disinformation plot. It has all the markings. Isn't that something like a coup? Is it is it simply dirty tricks? Is it simply hardball politics? I mean, is there something we should do that should make clearer what's happening here? That should make clearer that there's a problem? I, th I think so.
I, I feel pretty sure that there's something substantially wrong, wrong enough that there needs to be it needs to be addressed systemically. Now, what would that be? What you need to know is if that's the truth or that's what it looks like, somebody's got to get to the bottom of it. And the question is, who's that going to be? And my uh, my my my, um, you know, um, uh, my idea, my obvious idea, but it's not my idea. I'm just saying is somebody in the U.S. House, the Republicans need to get to the bottom of it systematically. And I think that's the best bet. I don't know who else can do it. You're not going to get the Department of Justice to do it. You're not going to get a special counsel to do it. I think that's the best bet. But man alive, it ought to be a five alarm fire. It ought to be like the top of the list of national security questions. And I I don't see it. All right, we got to run. We'll come back. We'll talk with Todd Benzman and then Chris Shimolinsky. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Pro America Report. Good to be with you. Our old friend. He's like a regular. He should be like a co-host at this point. Todd Benzman. We check in almost <laughs> every week with him. Uh, we've we've tracked his books. He's got a second book uh, coming out overrun about the Biden administration's failure. I was up early, Todd. I was reading an article on uh, Title 42. There's a couple weeks left till its full expiration, the disaster. And I thought I got to ask Todd about that. And then I got uh, up, up even a little bit later in the day and I saw a message from you on a new post over at the Center for Immigration Studies, where Todd Benzman is the uh, senior national security fellow and uh, CIS.org. Great website. Mexico's first Muslim immigrant shelter, a U.S. national security perspective. So in this, you traveled down to Tijuana and um, tell me about what you saw. Tell me about what this means. What's what's going on here? Well, about six months ago, there were some scattered uh, laudatory media reports about the opening of, uh, an, uh, of an immigrant shelter on the Mexican side that catered to Muslim immigrants as though there were, you know, there was enough demand for their, for their own shelter, that many people coming through. And it struck me that the American Homeland Security Enterprise views immigrants coming from countries of interest like that as a, a unique national security category that triggers all sorts of national security counterterrorism activity on our side and on the Mexican side. And I thought, well, surely somebody's going to come back and raise this question, right? Right. Uh, you know, could they be terrorists coming across? And of course, there wasn't. Nobody ever came back and looked at that. So I thought, well, I'll head over there myself. And so that's what I did this month. A little bit earlier this month was over there. Spent a few days on the ground uh, interviewing the immigrants, figuring out what they're doing, how much traffic is going through there. Uh, I did interview the shelter director, uh, the manager, and a whole bunch of uh, Homeland Security people to just kind of get a sense of what was going on. And the bottom line is that it does not appear that the either the American or the Mexican intelligence communities are doing what they're supposed to be doing with 
special interest aliens. That's what these people are when they come from any one of these 40 different countries. They're supposed to be interrogating them and interviewing them, both the Americans in Mexico and the Mexicans in Mexico. Uh, and instead, they're just most of them just come through. They stay at the shelter and they head over the border illegally, most of them. And um, so I just wanted to. And, what, yeah. So go what, ahead. So 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 so. Um, I, I mean, it's a little bit like I mean, this is a bit, bit, a bit like but it's a little bit like um, when you see enough traffic at an at a crossroads, um, somebody puts in a gas station. Right. I mean, nobody's spending the money to put a uh, uh, an immigrant, a Muslim immigrant shelter when there's not Muslim immigrants passing through. I mean, so one one detail is what is the size of that reality? Again, we don't have a law that says you can't come to America if you're not a Christian or not Judeo Christian. But we do have, as you say, a national security question. So when they had to, you know, if you get enough traffic at a crossroads, you're going to put a gas station, a McDonald's at an immigrant crossroad or a migrant crossroad at this crossroad you've got a, a Muslim shelter. It, what are the numbers? Well, at this particular shelter, they they have anywhere from 30 to 140 a day uh, staying at any one time. Their capacity seems to be about 150. Uh, it's an 8,000 square foot shelter, just two blocks from the border. You can see the border wall at the end of the street. The street ends at the border wall. It's all right there. And the facility is, uh, you know, it, it's, it caters to Muslim cultural and religious needs, you know, halal food and the, the requirements for modesty and separate male-female quarters. There's a mosque inside. I, w- I did go inside. Uh, and what, what the story here really is is that we are in the midst of a mass migration crisis, as I often say, on your show and i think the numbers are obvious that there is historic crisis going on the numbers of people coming through are astronomical and so therefore the percentage of people that are coming from muslim countries also is astronomical it's high and we know that the highest number of immigrants crossing the border who are on the fbi's terrorism watch list is at an all-time historic high too. Ninety-eight, just in that we know of, that got caught. Just in fiscal 2022, we had another nine cross from October. Just in October, who were already on the watch list. These are incredibly high numbers for that type of a of, for that characteristic. And so, uh, you know, the the, the national security question is seems obvious about a, a facility like this uh, uh we're, so, ta- we're, we're, we're talking about, we're talking yeah. with todd benzman and todd let me let me stop for one second i want i want to highlight this um your first book america's covert border war um went into more of these specifics i mean you just mentioned that there's there's people coming across uh the um the border the subtitle of your book was the untold story of the nation's battle to prevent jihadist infiltration um just because we're 20 whatever years 21 two years 21 years away from 9 11 doesn't mean that the jihadist problem going away. As you just said, there's people on the watch list coming through. Um, again, 
I, I, want, I don't want to sound like a psycho babbler, but when you start putting up uh, centers like this, one aspect of it seems to me is you're sort of normalizing the behavior, right? If you put up a tent, you say, well, that's going to be temporary. Somebody's in the tent for a while. When you put up a structure, a, a shelter, you're basically saying, this is how we want things to be going forward. And the, the double part of that is one, that's a policy preference the United States and Mexico are deciding to allow. And number two, the message, right? The message going back home, as you always taught me, you've taught me and my, my listeners on social media. Hey, guys, you can come here because it, it's not that hard. I mean, we used to have to sleep on the ground in a, in a, in a knapsack, in, a, in a, a backpack. Now we've got a shelter, right? I mean, that's another part of this that feels uh, obvious. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I I, I was able to interview through a uh, a translator app on my phone mm-hmm. a number of Chechens uh, for a couple of days who were who were coming through from Russia. They're Muslim. It's a militant, um, restive Muslim republic in in Russia. Uh, and and those people, they're young men, uh, beards, the whole thing. And they're coming through. They said they're mostly uh, draft war war dodgers. Uh, so I mean, that's what they're claiming. But you know, they they did they described having not been questioned by anybody at the Mexican airports. They just flew in. Right. They flew f- uh, from Brazil. They got to Brazil. Then they flew to Mexico City. Nobody said anything. Nobody questioned them. They flashed their Russian passports, flew to the Tijuana airport. And I said, well, why did you come to this? And how did you know about it? And the answer was social media. Everybody knows about this place. Uh, We knew that if we could get to Tijuana, we would have a safe place to hang out until we could figure out what to do. Uh, Now, most of these people that are coming through, uh, the last time you and I talked, it was about this other story I did from the region about how the Mexicans and the Americans have this new way where they are handing off immigrants at the ports of entry, legalizing them first on the Mexican side and then just handing them off and letting them into the country. A lot of these Muslim migrants at this shelter are doing that. They're getting in that line. And they're being handed off to the Americans. Lots of Afghans, uh, they told me. Many, many Afghans. uh, But from all over the Muslim world also coming through. But they also have a significant number that decide not to do that. Because you have to prove your citizenship. You have to undergo a background check. You probably, there's going to be national security checks. And there's also a wait time. So those just go off on their own and cross illegally. I see. Uh, There's not a whole lot that anybody can do about about (laughs) them. You have these two channels of people from that shelter crossing through. I see. We're talking with Todd Benzman. By the way, his website is toddbenzman.com. It's B-E-N-S-M-A-N.com, his own website, where you can see uh, coming out February 21st, 2023, a few months from now, you can pre-order the book Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. My only question on that book, Overrun, I've been hearing about it for a few months from you, Todd, is uh, do do you get to update that before uh, it goes to print? Because in the next two or three weeks, you're going to have another chapter on what's going on i mean it's not it's, you could add this this own your visit to this mosque i mean is there no. you, is there an end to when you can update your book 
No, I mean, listen, the, the important thing is for people to understand the originating causes of this mass migration crisis and what it caused, what the policies were that caused it, what it looks like on the ground so that you can, we can undo it at some point. But we're definitely in the middle of the story. Uh, and at some point you just have to free, freeze frame when you're trying to uh, document history, which I believe this is American history. You just have to freeze frame it at some point and cut it off. The story is definitely going to keep going after the book is published. But the most important part of the book is who caused this? Why did they cause it? And how do we get out of it? Yeah. Uh, you know, what are the principles? So, um, and, and by the way, I, I am updating. I'm in the middle of doing some updates in the book right now, bringing all the numbers up to up to speed. And um, uh, this this shelter is mentioned. All right. Well, uh, Todd Benzman, as always, uh, thank you for taking the time away. Busy time. Uh, Todd Benzman at uh, the uh, his website is uh, toddbenzman.com. Uh, and uh, also, of course, uh, cis.org is the Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you, Todd, as always. Thank you. And the, the piece uh, can be found at cis.org, and we'll have a video on it shortly, too. Okay, great. Good. I'm glad to hear that. All right, great. I will put that link up there. I see it uh, on your site. So uh, thank you. All right, everybody, I'll put that. I will post that up on social media as well as uh, link to it, and uh, and you should check it out. His He's a good follow on Twitter, and uh, cis.org is a great site, his, his writings as well as some of his colleagues. Um, okay, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We will be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend, Chris Shimolinsky over at Numbers USA. Uh, there's something, of course, ca- uh, of course it is because of we are, we, we are the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. I go as Eagle Ed Martin, at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter. And the immigration legislation is called the Eagle Act that is being considered in this lame duck Congress. Numbers USA Vice President Chris Shimolinsky joins me now. Uh, Chris, what's the deal here? Well, what's What's the deal? How are they telling us it's great and it's not great? Walk me through what the Eagle Act does. <laughs> yeah, definitely not to be confused with the Eagle Forum. <laughs> um, so th- this legislation, <laughs> this, the, this is this is a pretty awful idea, and of course it's it's introduced by Zoe Lofgren out in Silicon Valley in California. And once you hear the description of it, you'll you'll know why. So essentially, what it does is it allows most temporary and i want to emphasize that word temporary temporary foreign guest workers who are currently working here in the united states including future ones that haven't gotten here yet and allows them to actually stay and work here permanently as long as their employer sponsors them for a green card so this is already happening for the high skilled guest worker uh, visa program but this is going to apply across all uh, visas now um, including the h1b which the the h1b it's through a federal regulation so this is actually going to put it into the federal code but this is also going to apply to business visitors of multinational national corporations that come here to to do work and it's going to apply to treaty traders and and a host of others including h2b visa workers which are the low skilled workers that come in to do things like landscaping and work in hotels and restaurants during peak seasons 
So, uh, Christian Malinsky is our guest at Numbers USA. Chris, is this being done in the lame duck because nobody could do this in the light of day, or at least trying? Is that what, or is this something that's coming up uh, in the next session? By the way, it's numbersusa.org is the website. Numbersusa.org. Go ahead. Back to my question. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's definitely that's definitely part of it. I mean, this legislation has been around for actually quite a while. It was it was actually floated around in the in the Senate um, in the 116th Congress. So it's been around for a few Congresses and and it's been on the legislative calendar or it's at least it's been on the radar of, of House leaders, which which so Lofgren is is part of the member of that Democrat leadership team in the House of Representatives. It's been on their radar for for pretty much the entire session. I can't remember exactly when um, the House Judiciary Committee marked up this legislation, but it was at least six months to a year ago. So I think they are. I, I think there's two things at play. One, they're using the lame duck as a way to get it through because not many people are paying attention. And you have a couple members who are on their way out, so they're not held accountable to the, They won't be held accountable to the voters anymore. So I think that's one aspect of it. Um, and I think the second aspect is they didn't have the votes. We actually thought this was going to come to the floor earlier um, before Thanksgiving, and, and it didn't make the calendar. And And the only thing that we can guess is because they didn't have the votes. And, and we hear they're trying to whip those votes now. And if it weren't for the fact that they have uh, seven or eight Republican co-sponsors, they may not have the votes because I don't think everybody, most of the Democrats are on board, but I don't think all of their caucus is on board with this legislation. Uh, Christian Malinsky is our guest, Vice President, Deputy Director over at Numbers USA, numbersusa.org. Um, Chris, pretend you're them promoting this. What, what do they say anecdotally to, to America that feels like the economy's off, the, the border's wide open, it seems like nothing's working well? How do they, with a straight face, do they even try to sell it or do they just hope nobody's paying attention and, and we just keep moving on? For those, I, I think part of it is they're going to hope that this just doesn't get any coverage. I mean, I you know I get the major newsletters that come out of that come out of DC every single morning, the politicos and the hills and the roll calls and the punch bowl yeah. news of the world. They're not covering. Right? They're not even mentioning it. Yeah, all the focus is on the leadership races. Uh, is Kevin McCarthy going to get enough votes on the omnibus spending bill? A little tiny bit of attention on the National Defense Authorization Act, and that's pretty much it. So they're ignoring these smaller bills. So I think that's one aspect of it, which is another reason why, you know, Democrats are trying to do this during the lame duck session. Um, so, so I think that's part of it. But those that will be forced to, to answer to the voters on this, I think, you know, the, the argument that they're going to try to say is, hey, listen, you know, yeah, we, we don't like what's going on on the border, but but we're talking about skilled workers here. And we're talking about the Facebooks and the Amazons and the Apples of the world who can't get the workers that they need because, you know, they just simply have more job openings than there are applicants with such a low unemployment rate right now. But remember, all of those companies that I just announced, Amazon, Apple, Google, they've all announced either hiring freezes or layoffs within the last month or two. So it's just a complete, um, it, you know, this is it's it just totally turning their back on American workers, regardless of the skill. It's uh, that's exactly I was just going to say that that was what I was going to bring up. I thought I heard that there was freezes that, that, that Amazon especially was the one I heard there was freezes. And and you would think in terms of Amazon, I guess maybe maybe Amazon's hiring at the, the truck driving level. And maybe that's what. <laughs> 
uh, but they're not hiring uh, for the engineers. You know, the late Phyllis Schlafly, right. again, our guest is uh, Chris Jerlinski <laughs> over at uh, Numbers USA. He's vice president there, uh, NumbersUSA.org. The late Phyllis Schlafly used to go crazy because she would say, when they get out here and say, we need these foreign workers, uh, you know, engineers and others, she said, there's plenty of American, uh, they just don't want to pay them. They want to pay the cheaper amount. They want to pay 40% less for an Indian uh, national to come in and do the work. And, you know, so uh, it's a fake issue. What about the politics of this now, Chris? I mean, I, I know that's not Numbers USA's bailiwick to, to be uh, pick a side, but it seemed like the Republican Party had more and more understood um, this was a workers issue, an American workers first kind of thing. Is that fading? Uh, I don't think it's necessarily fading. I mean, we always knew that there were there there were a handful of Republicans that were very um, they were they were definitely open to the arguments made by the business side, especially Republicans that tend to be a little bit bit more liber- libertarian in their political philosophy versus more conservative in their political fo- philosophy. Um, you know, I don't I don't want to necessarily single anyone out from either the House or the Senate just because we haven't seen them vote. But again, there are eight Republican co-sponsors are a few Republican senators who are open to this idea. And again, you know, they're looking, they're, they're in tight with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They're in tight with, with, with Silicon Valley. And, and this is something that those two groups especially are, are really pushing for. I mean, you just look at earlier today, there's been a, there's been a compromise floated out in, in the United States Senate between Kirsten Cinema in Arizona and Tom Tillis in, in North Carolina. So Tillis, despite the, the, the border crisis, seems to be pushing an amnesty during the lame duck. So, so there are Republicans who aren't spectacular on this issue. And all we can do is try to educate them and bring them back and hope that they'll support at the end of the day, hope they'll support American workers. Is uh, is, is the um, is the unemployment number this if, if you had uh, in terms of explaining to people the problem, the unemployment number is actually pretty good. Right. So um, and so people say, well, therefore, we you know, without again, it's pretty good sort of um, it's pretty good training by the media and others to have us say oh unemployment's pretty good so why not we need the we need the workers that's not actually the point i mean part of the problem is that there's people that aren't even trying to get in the workforce right and it's it's a it's sort of a deceptive uh, thing right Right. You just hit the nail on the head with that comment. You know, we we still have not the, the the labor participation report is still participation rate is still below the rate that it was at before the 2009 recession. From a job market perspective, think about that. We have not yet recovered from the 2009 uh, recession, despite claims by the Biden administration. They've created some crazy millions numbers of jobs over their first 18 months in office. So yeah, the unemployment rate is low, but the unemployment rate only counts people who have actively been working, looking for work in the last four to six weeks. It does not count those people that have been looking for work, but simply gave up because they couldn't find anything. Um, and it also, it, it counts the people who have settled for part-time work because they can't find full-time work. It counts them as employed. So it's pretty deceiving. There is another unemployment rate, the use six rate, where you get a clearer picture, but but I think that the best way to look at it is look at that labor participation rate and look at how low it is compared to past decades.
it's um that's what i was just going to ask you that's the best that that's the best in your the best way to see what's really happening is the labor participation rate is that what you're saying i i think that's a good way you know especially if you look at where that labor participation rate was was in the 80s during the reagan era when 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 women had entered the workforce um uh, you know pretty much for onslaught. So you saw those labor participation rates really increase. Now, I will admit there's still a weakness within our within our metrics and with our government system. <laughs> who who would have guessed? Government hasn't quite <laughs> yeah. figured out how to count these numbers accurately. Right, right. Shocking. Right. So I think they're still trying to figure out how do you count people who are working full-time in the gig economy? That's things like Uber and, and, and DoorDash and those other types of companies like that where they're getting paid as, as contractors through an app. Um, so I think they're still trying to figure out them. They may be showing up as as outside the labor force when they're really participating in the labor force. But still, I don't think that's enough to really bring that number up. It's still going to be pretty low. And it just speaks volumes about what our government is doing. I mean, throughout the COVID pandemic, they were handing people money and really discouraging them from going out and getting a job. And it artificially has kept the unemployment rate down. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, Christian Malinsky, as always, thank you for the help. And over at numbersusa.org, you can see a lot more numbersusa.org. Uh, Chris Shimolinsky, vice president over there, uh, deputy director. Thanks, Chris. Thanks as always. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. It's helpful. That's helpful there. I, I got to dig into that a little bit more. I'm going to, I'm going to follow back up with him on the, uh, on how we get the right numbers to look at. Cause I think we're getting snowed by the unemployment numbers and, and that's uh, a trick that's been going on for a long time. Um, and uh, he, he got me really thinking about it. So, okay, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the pro America report. We'll be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. Prosecutors in Fulton County, Georgia, have made it their mission to indict the Trump advisors and ultimately Trump, it seems, for daring to criticize the malfeasance of Georgia election officials in allowing questionable ballots to be counted in 2020. A worse political misuse of prosecutorial power is difficult to imagine. Texas courts have already stood up against the Fulton County travesty by properly rejecting Georgia's attempt to haul Texans before the Democrat stack process in an Atlanta courtroom. A Texas appellate court expressed its strong doubts that the Fulton County proceeding is even legitimate as it ruled that a Texas resident can ignore Fulton County's subpoena. Ballotpedia data shows that the rejection rate of only 0.15% in Georgia of invalid signatures on mail-in or absentee ballots in 2020 was far less than in many other states and comparable to the national rejection rate for ballots failing to contain any signature at all. Yet prosecutors want to make it a criminal offense to even wonder why Georgia's rejection rate of invalid absentee ballots was so low. For two years now, Fulton County prosecutors have been unable to find any real crime committed by any Trump supporter or Republican in criticizing Georgia's improper election procedures. Georgia Democrats should not be allowed to stuff the ballot box with unverified votes or misuse prosecutorial power such that Republicans are deterred from criticizing this form of election fraud. The entire nation is affected by an improper election process in Georgia, and more states, in addition to Texas, should start ruling against attempts by Fulton County, Georgia, to haul non-Georgians to Atlanta for these political show trials. The Fulton County proceeding is creating a split between states in a way that our country has not seen in a long time. 
Traditionally, the courts in one state are quick to comply with requests by a prosecutor in another state. But political prosecutions are making these good relations strained. As President Trump wisely observed, Biden and his left-wing handlers are turning America into a police state. Let's do something about it. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report hey let's um let's spend a few minutes and uh, wrap up on the herschel walker situation and uh let me just tell you something um first of all um you know you have to give herschel walker a lot of credit um and you we need to um he stepped up into the arena fearlessly and it's a brutal brutal arena and it's just the cost is heavy i'm telling you and so kudos for him stepping up uh, but but let me also tell you something um it is the exception not the rule so it's the exception to the rule that someone can be a first-time candidate and succeed really well it happens and uh it happens more frequently than i I, than maybe when i say that it's like oh well it never happened no it happens i mean in fact i think uh uh uh, warnock the guy who won this time won a special election last time but it's it's very unlikely it's very difficult to do um uh, you know donald trump people think oh wow look there's a business guy he can run for president he can run for u.s senate it's just harder than you think of there's a reason why many many candidates who succeed at very high levels, run either a couple times and lose or they run for a lower office first and figure it out and then end up running, you know, having Eric Schmidt. He was a state senator in Missouri. He ran for state treasurer statewide and won. He was then promoted. He was appointed to be attorney general. I think he ran again to win a full term. And then he won for U.S. Senate. Part of it is vetting, vetting yourself, um, you know, getting everybody going through all your dirty laundry. Part of it, though, is um, is understanding the systems, you know, how you have to do it. A statewide race, you you know, you can't shake every hand for a statewide race. And unless you're um, Trump and running for office with unlimited money and earned media, you got to raise a lot of money. You got to go and make a lot of phone calls. You got to be at a lot of events. So it's much more common. And Herschel uh, paid a price for being a newbie. You know, inevitably when you lose, there's a million articles written. And I've seen the articles written about how he didn't really have a campaign structure. He didn't really trust his consultants, all that stuff. You say, well, that's good. He's a, he's a good man. He's, he's doing what he wants to do. Well, yes, yeah, sort of. It's sort of, except a lot of times those in a big race like Senate, there are people that are good experts. And just because they're experts in that field and consultants doesn't make them bad. And so when you have somebody who knows how to read polling, when you have somebody who knows how to do uh, media to create ads and digital ads because they're experienced and they're a consultant, it doesn't make them bad. In fact, it makes them good and more valuable. You just have to be careful that you're not suckered into getting the uh, that kind of um, you know ones that are not serious and just take your money, take a percentage, and don't get things done. So uh, Herschel Walker deserves a ton of credit for stepping into the arena. I think a lot of people did not step up to help him. 
And some of that is to their shame. And some of that is to his fault. Meaning you have to build a campaign that people see how it works and they keep investing. And sometimes the newbies, the new candidates that haven't run, just jump in there and say, hey, they'll come to me. I'm, I'm doing well. I mean, they want to win. And it doesn't work as well as you think. So it's um, there is a reason. And I often tell people when they say, oh, who could be a vice presidential pick for uh, a Donald Trump in 2024? Or who might be a vice presidential pick for uh, a Democrat if there's a different candidate running? And I say, look at the universe of people who have run for office at a high level. Because you're not going to take a newbie that hasn't been through uh, the real uh, tough fight, even if Sarah Palin had run for governor, which is a real race, even, you know, Alaska is pretty small number of citizens, but it's a real race. But even she got a lot of attention, negative attention for being sort of untested nationally. Generally, ever since Tom Eagleton from Missouri was picked and was not fully vetted, there's this sense that you're you're going to have run a couple times at the highest level and everybody's going to know what uh, your ups and downs are. And so that's part of what's going on there. Anyway, uh, congratulations to Herschel Walker. I don't feel it doesn't feel like it today for running a great race uh, and being in the fight. Say that maybe that's better. And uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. I'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin. Thank you, Noah Dingley, our great producer, Ryan Hyde, our associate producer, and you all for listening. Be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.